and welcome to this episode of the podcast Hero with a Thousand Faces, brought to you by philweston.blog. That's Western like the hemisphere. During this series, I will interview ordinary people who've taken extraordinary steps to make their lives better. These people have found the motivation to make things happen, each in their own unique and interesting ways. The idea is to catalyse change so you can get ideas, find inspiration and draw on that inner motivation deep down in all of us. Today, I'll be talking to Dave Hock, a digital entrepreneur who will be joining us from lockdown in Spain. So, hey, Dave, can you hear me? I can, yes. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Phil. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, so where are you at the moment? I am in uh, sunny Granada, Spain in the south in Andalusia at this very moment. And what's it like in Andalusia during the lockdown? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's not, I don't have as many freedoms as other places in the world. It's, it's There's definitely been some, we'll say, draconian rules. But for the most part, uh, you know, people have been keeping themselves entertained. We're, we're allowed to do a little exercise now. There's a lot of camaraderie amongst the, computer, the community of, uh, you know, wanting to see this out and, and us return to some, some resemblance of a normal life. Okay. How's this uh, camaraderie kind of showing itself? Yeah. You know, every night at eight o'clock, and I know they do this around the, the world in various places, we all, we go to our windows and we cheer and we, we salute, um, a salute, I should say, <laughs> the salute, the medical workers who are, are putting their lives on the line to support us. And uh, within Spain, they actually have this, I don't know, it's kind of ridiculous, but they they have this song, Resistere, like I Will Resist, that's played uh, pretty much in everybody's speakers at the same time, more or less. And it sort of echoes through the city. It's it's kind of like the eye of the tiger from Rocky, if you will. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, so people get into it for sure. Oh, well, that sounds uh, really intense, but interesting. Um, so could you tell everyone a bit more about, uh, how you started out on your journey? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my sort of quick story, if I, if I may, is that, um, I'm a Yank, I'm from the States and, uh, I went to, uh, several universities and trying to figure out my path in life and settled in tech and worked for a good 12, 12, 13 years in, um, in, in rather large organizations and I was approaching my my late excuse me my late twenties early thirties, and I kind of hit this wall where I realized, wow, I am just I am doing the the rat race. I'm literally following the same path as everyone else. Is this as good as life gets? I started having sort of existential thinking. What do I really want in my life? Is almost like a midlife crisis, and that that sort of led me to this place of saying okay, well, if I can break out from this system, if I could do anything, if, if money wasn't an issue, if career was an issue, what does success look like to me? How can I define that? How can I bring the ultimate happiness to myself and what I'm creating every day? You know, What gets me out of bed and motivates me? That question led me to making wholesale changes in my life, quitting my job, traveling, trying to educate myself as much as possible, just really just taking a step back and saying, where, where am I going? And then building a plan to get there. It's sort of the, that's the, the high level. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so that's a, a nice overview. And um, so you uh, decided to, to make a change. And uh, at this point, um, did you have some kind of call to action or, or something specific, which inspired you or like sparked the, the change, which you decided to make? <sighs> well, for me, I went to, 
I went back to school and I got an MBA in sustainability and personal development. And during that time, I basically paid in the US education system a lot of money to learn that I needed to quit my job. So it, it led me to reading a lot of self-help books, to having sort of this conversation with myself of if I died tomorrow, do I feel like I've fulfilled what makes me happy most? And that that just that question started this catalyst of, wow, you know, it doesn't really matter. And then I had a conversation with my grandfather. Uh, who's 95. And I said to him, you know, I think I want to quit my job and travel at least for a little bit, sort of like a sabbatical and figure out you know, what I want, where's my place in the universe. And he told me, and this was, this was one of the things that really hit me. He said, you know, when I die, the one thing I'm not going to res- regret is that I, I, I didn't travel. Like, like the one thing I wish I had done was travel more because I can't do it now. To me, that was the, okay, this makes sense moment. And then it was validated, actually. Uh, I had a, had a fantastic boss in my corporate life. And it was one of the reasons I stayed there. And he retired right before I left and started my travels. Um, he worked for the same company 38 years. He retired. He was enjoying the good life in sunny Southern California. And he had a heart attack and died six months after his um, his retirement. That was the, oh, shit, okay. This makes a lot of sense. This guy worked his whole life believing in something only to just get to enjoy his life for six months. It seemed like it was it was sort of the writing on the wall for me of I, I need to make a directional change in my life. So that, that's interesting that you use the word directional. And uh, I think it's perhaps geographical as well, isn't it? Because it was very, it was very related to location in a sense, at first at least, um, and changing in order to, to change your thoughts. So do you think that uh, you needed to change location in, the, in order to change the way you saw life or the way you thought about life? That's a great question, Phil. You know, for me, some of my biggest learning opportunities were looking at the lens of life through others' points of view. Um, you know, where, at least for me, uh, there's this at least as an American, there's this this fantasy we have of this white picket fence fantasy, and you put your head down and you work hard, and it's 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 this doctrine that's ingrained in us as children. We're led to believe this is this is the path to happiness, um, but that's not the case everywhere else in the world. So for me, I had done some travel for work, and I felt like I learned the most when I was outside of my comfort zone, when I took some risks when I put myself in positions that I, I wasn't accustomed to, when I got a chance to learn how other people perceive the world, how they interpret the world, that sort of led me on this journey of saying, okay, if that's adding value in my life and serving me, what would it be like to explore that more? What would it be like to start to question some of the mental models that I have built up over the years? Yeah, that's a really interesting concept because, yeah, you absolutely seem to fit into the values of the society you're in or the people around you and when you're outside of that it's almost like people are inherently questioning your values and you and it's a continuous period of reflection uh, which can obviously lead to to growth uh, in the long term yeah um, i agree 100 percent, phil yeah it, but to me it's just one of these things where you like any change you want to make in life any process or um, you know pattern that you want to break in yourself or in your your lifestyle first step is acknowledging it then putting a plan to it then working on that plan then executing on that plan if we don't if we just sit here and follow the same patterns the same life we're not really growing we're just staying the same 
Yeah, indeed. Um, and uh, so this traveling, um, I know, turned into uh, bicycle adventures or long distance bike touring. Um, so can you tell me a bit more about that and um, how that became what it was? Absolutely. Yeah. So I was um, I was living in Portland, Oregon, in the Northwest, which is a big, big bike city in the States. And I got into riding my bike a lot and commuting and just using it as a means for transportation. Um, it just happened that I got a new bike that was a little bit more rugged and was made for trekking. And I thought, oh, well, you know, let me try an overnight, just a weekend excursion with my partner at the time and our dogs, and we'll see how it goes. And I borrowed a trailer from a friend and it was a dis- <laughs> it was an absolute disaster. We had to call a friend in a truck to pick us up. We ran out of food. We ran out of daylight. And it was one of those moments where I thought, wow, that was terrible in the moment. But the next day it became sort of this retroactive fun where I, I thought, like, wow, we, we really put ourselves out there. We really tried something new. Huh. Imagine if we if we did that in a foreign country and we did it for a little while more, a little longer than a weekend. And I sort of let that idea percolate in my head. I kind of presented it to my partner at the time and she was, she was not on board. Um, But after a few months of me nagging and sort of dropping hints and saying, let's try it, we sort of built this idea up of, okay, let's see. And so we, we did some research, we watched some movies about it and we just wanted adventure. So what ultimately became, let me just quit my job for me felt like, wouldn't it be really interesting to travel through our own two legs um, sleeping in a tent and going with our dog. And so what we ended up doing is we, we started in Norway. We cycled down to Turkey and then through the islands over to Greece. We did that for nine months. And at that point we were sort of thinking, is this, is this really what we want to do? Do we like this? And we still had some hunger in us. So we decided to go to South America. We cycled from Patagonia up to Colombia through the Andes over the next year and a half. And it was a brutal tour. Those mountains are huge. Um, but I learned so much, Phil. Like I, if I could do it all over again, I would. And to be honest, in, in reflection in the last few weeks during COVID, um, I recognize for me, it was probably peak happiness in my life. Just the simplicity of everything you have. You, you're really only responsible for eating, sleeping, showering, pooping, and that's it. Like everything else just falls into place. Um, so I threw a lot at you there, but yeah, yeah, that, that was, that was what got me out of the system and took me to a place of sort of, I wouldn't say like introspection and self-exploration. That's, that's really interesting because, um, you, you kind of started off by saying it went really badly, but that's what I wanted to do. And that's how you knew. Um, so do you think there's something within the kind of difficulty of it or the struggle which you go through that, that makes it worthwhile? Yeah. You know, I have this phrase, um, that I had a a mentor teach me it's fail, fail fast and fail often. And I've always stuck with that. Uh, it's sort of like a mantra that I live by just simply from the standpoint of if, if if we don't fail, we don't learn. So it's, you know, if you think about all of our studies in universities or education, or as even a little child, you know, you stub your toe, you learn, okay, I shouldn't run up the, down the stairs or up the stairs so fast, you know, fire's hot. If I touch it, it, it burns me. Okay. I've learned a lesson there. I personally feel like my biggest life lessons have come through failures. We're not perfect. No one's perfect, right? Welcome to, to, to being a human, but it doesn't mean that we can't 
make mistakes and learn through those mistakes. Those can't be opportunities. They don't have to be bad things necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, could you give us an example maybe of uh, one of the most difficult things you struggled with or the most significant problems you had to overcome? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it just depends. Um, some of the moments for me, here's an exa- here's a story that I always remember. Um, Jen, my, my ex and I were in, in Bolivia and we were in a very, very small town in the Altiplano and really high altitude. We're in a very a town of maybe 100, 150 people. And I remember th- it was a lot of poverty, no running water. And, you know, my first instinct there, um, we had to buy vegetables because we were out of, out of food and there's no vegetables anywhere. So we had to start knocking on random doors. And fortunately, my partner um, spoke Spanish quite well and was able to talk to some of the, the mamitas there. And I remember, you know, you, you open the door, you come into their home and there's dirt floors. There's, there's no running water. There's no toilets. A lot of the children have the sort of the, the sign of malnutrition of the rosy cheeks. And I remember thinking, oh, of course these people, like they, you know, it's very egotistical me at the time in retrospect. I, I thought, oh, they don't have any food. They don't have, they don't have running water. They have a low quality of life. That was, that was the just assumption that I made. Um, but after having conversations and a lot of these women, which were the heads of the households would invite us in. We'd have a meal with them. We'd stay with them just through hospitality. You come to learn that they're so happy. Their quality of life is fantastic. They don't just have one home. They have three homes. Uh, It doesn't even matter if the (laughs) floor is dirt. They have the, it was just a shockingness to me that we, I felt so tied to, money equals happiness with this sort of false American dream. And here is the most poor person I've ever met in my life with the biggest smile, laughing, showing me their family, uh, getting to meet all the neighbors in town. They walk you through town to parade you around, so to speak, and everybody's happy to come meet you. It just taught the, it just hit me with this, like, wait, we are not defined by the possessions we have. We're defined by the happiness we seek. That blew my mind, Phil. Yeah, totally. And I think there's something about um, stripping back kind of the materialism of society, which allows you to to see what's really important a bit more clearly, uh, the connections that we have and, uh, yeah, really just um, being in the moment, which can be clouded so much by all the, the crap, really, that we surround ourselves with. Yeah, absolutely. Um and, you know, there's tons of studies that will show you that shopping produces these endorphins in our brain that lead to addiction. And it's, yeah, I'm not going to go down that route, but yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you, man. Um, and so we've uh, covered the, the problems and the struggles. And what about the, the best moments, the moments that made you just kind of absolutely soar? Great choice of words, soaring. For me, it restored my faith in humanity. And I know that's a, a really bold statement given the current climate we're in uh, with climate change and economics and all that and pandemic. Yeah, so for me, the, the hospitality that we received from complete strangers um, was unparalleled. I've never been in my life where I've been invited into homes to stay for a week, for example, in Colombia. 
with my dog in Turkey, uh, you know, a country that's predominantly Muslim that generally don't allow dogs inside, but would invite us inside to stay with them. I had the poorest Chilean fishermen living in a tin shack in Patagonia invite us in and cook us a meal, just yell at us from the dirt road to come into his home and to stay with him. And the conversations you have, the depth in which people open up, the depth in which they're vulnerable, and they're willing to share all the secrets they have. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still friends with a lot of these people I met randomly. And I mean randomly, like right place, right time on a street corner where a gentleman's in his car and he just finished his apple and he notices in his other hand, he has another apple and he whistles at you and hands you the apple. And that's how the conversation starts. And half the time it's in, it's either in, um, you know, sign language, depending on where you are in the world, or it's in, you know, sort of memeing your, your way through or miming, I should say. So for me, it just restored this. We, we live in this society of fear, modern news cycle, and everything's based on what if the bad things could happen to you. And for me, it, it just, the paradigm shifted to what is the good that people can bring to each other? That really took me for this spin in my head of instead of looking at people as being afraid, it's like we all have gifts to share with each other, whether it's stories or just a, an orange on the side of the road, you know? And do you think you'd have got that vulnerability from people and that honesty without having opened yourself up like that much? I mean, do you get that now? Uh, is it something that was unique to that experience or did you learn that skill to kind of make people vulnerable with you and you've carried yeah, that forward? Well, great question, Phil. You clearly did your prep work, brother. So yeah, you know, it's twofold. One, I think that being on a bike, quite frankly, with around cars, inherently you're vulnerable just physically. And I think that people have a, a certain layer of respect for you. Just, they know they could see all the bags you got on your bike. They could see, they think I was carrying a baby most of the time because I had a trailer for the dog and they, they, they look at you sort of this, you're vulnerable and we want to help you. Um, now that is just the, the first piece of it. The other second piece is if you have a conversation with someone and I've found this just in my life, um, being vulnerable and talking about your fears, talking about who you are as a person or what you're interested in life, but without judgment, just completely from a, I'm open to learning. Please challenge, I want to challenge my assumptions. That really fosters an environment where you can have very deep and stimulating conversations with people about who they are and the lives that they have um, that you wouldn't have, I think, if you just you know, we're walking down the street and, and I don't know, Manchester or London or something and Madrid and you just bump into someone. I think that makes it a little bit more difficult. So it's interesting indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Just a step out of kind of normal life in a fantastic way. So um, what, uh, what advice would you give to other people interested in having a kind of similar adventure, like a what, maybe in terms of how they would fund it, how they plan it, and uh, how they motivate themselves to do it. Yeah, it's and it's a question that I've got asked often. Um, you know, and I ended my tour in 2017, I think, and we're, I'm three years down the road now, and I've reflected on this quite a bit. Um, my first thing is ask yourself the question of whatever you're engaged in in life right now, is the future version of you going to look back on the previous five years and be proud of the work that they're doing? 
that's that's always the first thing I've learned in the last five years, I would say, or since I left my my career is to just give yourself a moment to say, are you going to be proud of the work you're doing? Is this the best version of yourself that you, you are right now? If it's not, then ask yourself where that change needs to happen. What are the leverage points that you can start to sort of shift to make yourself go in the direction to be the person you want to be? And I know that's a bit abstract and philosophical, but the, the hardest part is just committing showing up. If you show up and you're committed to making the change, then it's a matter of just building a plan to make that change happen. So in terms, sorry, Phil, go ahead. So you, so when you say leverage points, you mean, um, yeah, you're referring to the fact that everyone's life's slightly different. So maybe not everyone can change the same aspects and you might have some limitations, but you can work around them. Absolutely. Whether it's emotional or trauma related, uh, you know, childhood issues, financial issues, career choices, you know, there's, there's, there's always going to be limitations. That's why it's a matter of doing uh, or building a plan that works for you. And it's in for each person, it's completely individual. Um, I don't think a, a cycle touring, for example, is for everyone. Um, I don't know that adventure is for everyone. For some people, it may be as simple as saying, I want to do, you know, daily meditation. I want to get into Qigong. I want to get into something that's going to bring me the peace and comfort that I need and want in life. I I think that's the, that's to me the part that you have to really think about. Now, we all don't know that, right? Like when I went and started touring and quitting my job, I had no clue if I would like it. And to be honest, the first First off, I can tell you April in Norway is not summertime. It is absolutely cold and freezing. And I was miserable. It was pouring every day. It was not enjoyable. It was really, really hard. But through that challenge, I found clarity. Okay, so I think if you if you put yourself in this position to just say, what is it that I'm seeking? What is it that's not working for me? Those are leverage points. So when I say leverage points, I'm thinking more like systems design, right? We're looking for two interactions or a series of processes in our life that are creating loops that aren't serving us, right? So if you can identify those points in the loop that if you were to switch and all of a sudden the loop or the process is broken and you go left instead of right, those are the places where you really start to grow. Those are the places where you start to find hope, that you start to find change, where you become the version of yourself that you want to become. So uh, in terms of your, your what you're doing now, um, obviously a slightly more static lifestyle uh, over there in Andalusia. Um, so could you tell everyone about your, your current business um, and how did it start out? Absolutely. So when I quit my job and I started cycling, um, we wrote a blog. It was about traveling with a dog. And I had no idea where my career path was going to take me. We just started writing and we, my, my ex was a fantastic storyteller. That slowly but surely turned into a business. And I had no intention of it being a business, but this is, this is the beauty of opening yourself up to the universe is you start to find things that are little gifts that you can, you can grab onto, hold onto and expand upon if you want to. So that led me a few years down the road to saying, cool, maybe I can build websites for people. Um, And I started uh, a digital marketing company with a a few people to help me out as I started building out websites for people and using contacts and friends and family uh, called Colabrilli. 
And that grew into recently during COVID, I've launched a website devoted to coffee called bigcupofcoffee.com with a friend of mine who's stuck here with me. And that's led us to a place of just really finding a passion project and trying to write about it, all things related to coffee. And I, during my travels in South America, got to go to several coffee farms in Ecuador and Colombia and learn about it, which was, again, we go back to these growth opportunities. Uh, I had no idea how coffee was made and how labor intensive it is. And, and child children that are involved in the production are not involved. And it's just, it's a massive industry. It's really fascinating. So to me, this all comes back to that that conversation we were having earlier about taking risks leads us to places we didn't know we could get to, whether it's your career or whether it's personal development. So the work I'm doing now is directly related to me quitting my job and traveling. So how is it different to your old life in terms of your, your current work-life balance? Is it is it completely different? Is it a completely different ballpark or is it sort of still wake up at nine, finish at five and, and, you know, like find the nice moments, uh, in between times? Well, for me, um, life work balance is a, is a really important thing. And I, after I broke out of the, the corporate world and I actually went back to the States for almost a year and got hit with some pretty, pretty ugly depression and anxiety. And I couldn't go back to the same life. At that point, I couldn't. So I was pretty committed to making it as an entrepreneur, to sort of do it myself, to make my own hours, to be able to go on that bike ride or trail run when I want to. Um, Now, with that being said, of course, being an entrepreneur takes a lot of work. So I do find myself spending more hours in front of a computer than I want to. However, I also realize that it's really important for me. If I want to get up and go to that trail run, I'm going to do it. You know, I've created that life for me to to say that money isn't everything, that it's important that I have this balance and equilibrium so that I can produce the good work I want to produce. I know that's not realistic for everyone. And I think I, I encourage every person to find out what works for them um, and stick to that. Make it part of your routine if you can. And um, what do you think like the major blocks to living a lifestyle like yours are? When you say blocks, Phil, do you mean like building blocks? No, the major blocks like uh, kind of obstacles. Ah, obstacles. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, I think that first and foremost, I'm fully aware that my my ability to live the life I have right now comes from a place of privilege. Like, no doubt about that. I'm a, I'm a white, middle-class, heterosexual male who grew up in, a, in an educated environment. Um, so I, I recognize that I'm very fortunate and very lucky. With that being said, I feel like I have met people and travelers from all around the world that figure out ways to make it happen. Again, it comes back to that commitment piece and accepting that's what you want to do. You can figure out the money. You can figure out ways to to make the money. You can volunteer. You know, I know I met so many people and we did it too. Um, Workaway is a great place to find volunteer gigs. Website. So, in terms of blocks, you know, it's it's one of these things where you have to you have to think about what works for you. For me and my lifestyle, it was I had a house, I had to rent it out, I had all this shit that I accumulated over the years that I had to get rid of. I had a dog, we had cats at the time, we had chickens at the time. You know, how did did I figure out Mm -hmm. ways to downsize my life so I can get out of this system? The rest will fall into place. That's that's what I mean by making a plan and executing on it. 
all the other little pieces that you're worried about, you'll figure out. If it's for me, it's nature RX. So if I get outside into nature, I'm getting the the medicine to heal me and help me figure out the path I want to take. I think for most people, just getting out, and I know it's ironic to say this during COVID, getting out of where you are right now is the way to grow. Whether that be kind of country or house or area? Or... It's exactly right. It's exactly yeah. right. Whether it's just the same patterns, whether it's <laughs> waking up under the stars in a tent, you know, in the morning, whatever it is, it's you. And I'm hesitant to tell because I've had this conversation with lots of people. I'm hesitant to say you need to quit your job and go travel the world because that's not for everybody. Like it's definitely not. Maybe it's just a weekend trip. Maybe it's just going camping for the first time. Maybe it's just taking your dog for a walk in the woods as opposed to, you know, the, the sidewalk you normally walk down. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of changing it up. Um, yeah. And so speaking of changing it up, uh, what do you miss most about home and would you ever go back? Oh, that's a heavy question given the, the current regime in charge of the United States, in my opinion. <laughs> but I know this is not a political podcast. So um, what do I miss? To- you know, I honestly, I miss a good IPA. That's, that's be a, uh, an Indian pale ale beer. Yeah. From the Northwest, we have some good beer there in Cascadian hops. I yeah. know you guys fancy a, a proper pint yourself. So I do miss that a lot. Um, personally, I've fallen in love with Spain. I've fallen in love with travel. I don't feel like the, what's the right words? The, the, ideology of the u.s really suits me so i don't anticipate going back for a long time if ever i'm kind of accustomed to uh, socialized healthcare now and the the quality of life and the work balance that i think a lot of other places bring me i do miss friends of course too right so it's you know we always have those okay and uh the, the final question is uh if you could do it all again what would you do differently Oof. What would I do it's differently? It's a tough one and there's lots of different ways I can I can approach this, whether it's from a relationship perspective or from a a quality of life. Uh you know, I think that the simplest thing was because we had goals, Jen, my ex and I of like making it from point A to point B, I would have taken some time off. I would have, for example, we found a really cool town. Uh, called Cuenca in Ecuador that we loved. I would have taken a month there if I could have. Volunteering or renting a place or doing work exchange um, to just slow down. I think in general in life, it's so easy to take those moments that are aha moments and we want, we want to grow and blaze through them because we feel like that's what we have to do. But I believe if I if we had slowed down a little bit and taken some time off, I think that would have been a good thing. A, it would have it would have helped with the burnout factor, but B also would have been a great opportunity to learn. Absolutely, yeah. We must make time to stand and stare. It's important, right? Just to yes. sort of savor the moment. Well said, right? Yeah, totally. All right, Dave. So thanks very much for joining us today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, my my pleasure, Phil. I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck on your mission here to change the world. All right, thanks very much, Dave. Goodbye. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, sign up to get updated whenever a new one comes out. 
Go to philweston.blog to find out more and uh, please leave comments because feedback keeps things interactive and we love to hear what you've got to say. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.